can help us, that's great. And if you can't, we still appreciate very much the prayers. All right, First John, if we could please, uh, we're going to talk again. Um, this is where we started last week. And uh, in the latter days, this is an important thing, and being able to stay in fellowship with the Lord. Um, I know I quote the old preacher a lot, and I care a lot about him, and he meant a lot to me, and so on and so forth. And probably some of you get tired of hearing it, but uh, they'll learn some things from him that are uh, life-changing for me. Uh, the, 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 the insight that somebody with that kind of age has on them. He's talking about stuff in 2001, 2000, 2001 that's going on right now. Uh, that, that's going on, the things that are happening in Israel and so on and so forth. He's talking about that all the way back in 2000 and 2001 and taking you back historically to some of the things I told you last week. Uh, you can't ignore those kinds of things. But the, one of the greatest things about him to me was the practicality of, of his teaching, the practicality of, of application, being able to apply things in an everyday uh, basis. And uh, one of the things he said uh, that to me is very profound and I uh, have remembered it is, is the most important thing in a man's woman or a, ma a man or a woman's life. And there's a pause there. Now, if it's the most important thing, then probably catches my attention, right? He says, outside of salvation is your personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's profound. You say, he said, what the devil likes to do is anything he can to interrupt that fellowship. And so I don't think we can preach on it enough and teach on it enough because I find that a lot of individuals don't really even know what it means to have fellowship with him. So I started off with this. This is a brief recap. Won't take but just a minute. First John chapter number one. The Bible says that which you have seen and heard declare we unto you. First John, that's the one back toward the back of your Bible, not the regular epistle of John. Uh, that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Notice in verse number five, he's talking about your joy being full. That's a message in and of itself. And then in verse number five, this message we have heard of him declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, verse seven, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, uh, his son cleanses us from all sin. Heavenly Father, we pray you might help us now as we look at and study these things and pray, Lord, that we'll understand the benefit as well as the cautions and the warnings that we might at all costs protect our relationship with you, especially in these final days that we're upon this earth. Thank you for what you've allowed us to do, be a part of. We pray now your blessings upon the service. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Take your Bible, come quickly to uh, Ephesians chapter number five. Ephesians five. Now, here's the reason I bring this up. It's not to be negative in this sense of the word. Everything that's written in the Bible that may appear to you in modern vernacular to be negative, it's not intended to be negative. It's intended to be a warning. Every time God says no, it's for your good. Amen. He told Eve what? He said, don't partake of the, uh, the tree in the garden there. And the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt what? Surely die, right? So if he does that, he's not telling her that the, I don't want you to have the benefit of eating of the tree. He's saying, if you eat the tree, you're going to die. Well, people say, why does he have to be negative? Well, don't you tell your kids don't run across the street without looking both ways? Well, why are you being so negative? Just let them go and run. Don't you tell your kids don't put your head in the stove or the oven? Well, why do you be so negative? Why don't you let them experience life? See? 
But when the Bible says it, it's automatically received, especially as Christians. A majority of everything I show you in the Bible from Pauline epistles, it's warnings to a Christian for your benefit. It's not to harm you and it's not to restrict you. Some restrictions in life are good. Would you agree with that? Amen. The prodigal son, you know what happened? There's a parameter that's set up there for the prodigal son. And the prodigal son thought it was a prison rather than protection. I guess it's all on how you view it. Uh, many of you, when you grew up and you became teenagers or at some point in time in your life, you felt like mom and dad were too restrictive. You say it happens to everybody. Well, I don't know that happens to everybody, but at some point you have your own free will that you exercise and you start wanting to experience things on your own. And then you and sometimes your parents begin to conflict on what they see as restrictive or as, as protection and you see it as restrictive. You know, you shouldn't watch that. You shouldn't go here. You shouldn't do that. Well, I'm not in elementary school anymore. I'm not a kid anymore. I can do what I want to do. And then you have to wind up accepting the repercussions for the decisions. There's laws in the land. They're given to you as parameters. In other words, you can't just do what you want to do. In the Bible, he says you all have liberty, but don't use it as an occasion to the flesh. So when, when you hear these things, the natural response is, oh, well, he's just a standards preacher. He's just telling me I can't do all these things. Why don't you look at it this way? Look at all the things I can do. And the things he warns you not to do, why would you want to do those things anyway? Right? All right, let's look at this thing real quick here in Ephesians chapter number five. Now we're getting this in our mindset. This is our concept. The concept is, if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I have fellowship. If I walk in darkness and say I have fellowship, I'm lying. In other words, if I'm participating in things that are contrary to the light, I can't say that I'm in fellowship with the Lord while I'm doing those things. So that winds up being a personal test for you. I don't know if you're doing these things or not doing these things. But the Apostle Paul warns you why it's the litmus test to be able to, you know what litmus is, right? The, the acid test. It's the litmus test to find out whether or not you're in fellowship. This is for your benefit. If some of these things have slipped into your life, your fellowship may need some improvement. Please don't take the negative attitude of, you know, well, you know, I guess you can, who can ever be in complete fellowship with the Lord? Well, we're all in and out. But it should be improved. Well, nobody ever is as good as they should be. Well, that's true, but shouldn't we be working on making it better? I mean, you don't take that attitude when it comes to school or work or anything else. You don't always go to work and hit it out of the ballpark. I mean, there's some days the boss actually carries you because you didn't give him a full eight hours. Right? All right. There's some times that you don't give the Lord a full eight hours. So what do I do? Well, I just give up and quit. No, you try to do better the next day. All right, look, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number five, and just go ahead and pick it up in verse number one. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, uh, as Christ also hath loved us, and given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet smell and savor. So he's telling you, walk in, walk in love. Your love for what? Your love for him. Your motivation for serving the Lord should not be fear. Amen. Your motivation for serving the Lord is, is I love the Lord, and I can't believe he allows me to do this. Amen. That should be your motivation. Now, sometimes fear is a good stick to get you back in line. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. 
Why does he do that? He gets on to you a little bit to get you back in fellowship. It's for your good. All right, notice, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, or not convenient, rather the giving of thanks. Know that no whoremonger, unclean person, or covetous, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's talking to saved people. He's not talking about your salvation. He's talking about the fact you lose your inheritance for that. Why? Because if I'm doing those things, I'm, I don't care if I'm going to church, reading my Bible and praying. Anything I'm doing is not counting for eternity. I'm out of fellowship. I'm not hooked up. The plug's out of the wall. Remember the illustration? I know they're all lithium battery charged, most of them nowadays. Uh, they don't have the suction power that they should have. It's been pointed out to me recently. But when you remember, I used the illustration about putting the plug in the wall and vacuuming the rug. And no matter how expensive or how good that vacuum cleaner is, the second that plug comes out of the wall, you're still making all the motion in the world, but nothing's getting done. When you're out of fellowship with the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, nothing's getting done. The plug's out of the wall. You say, how do I get the plug in the wall? Well, if your vacuum cleaner is like ours, the one we used for years, the plug was always about a foot short. You get just as about to the edge of the room there, and then the thing would come out of the wall. And of course, then you have to go roll it up and move it to the other side. They, they design it that way, I think, on purpose. But at any rate, the issue is, is that if I want to be able to make the, vacuum, the machine work right, I got to plug it back in the wall. Now, that should be a fundamental thing about revival. Revival's getting plugged back in again. Amen. You ever notice sometimes you get to vacuuming and you're trying to stretch that thing out and the little prongs will get kind of bent just a little because you're kind of stretching that cord like you're going to get another few inches. I can tell some of you've done that before. You're like, yeah, I kind of did that before. Then you get ready to plug it back in and then you're trying to, or you'll start hearing it arcing over there. You'll hear, zzz, 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 zzz. and then the vacuum cleaner is going, zzz, 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 zzz. sound like you're getting ready to run a drag race. And you're like, but if I could just get this last little bit, and then you kind of get a little bit, and then you go for it, right? The plug's already out of the wall, but there's still a charge running through the thing, and you're like, maybe I can get it in there. Well, sometimes don't we get right on the edge of our Christian life? Come on now. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes don't we get right to the end of the rope and instead of just backing up a little bit and getting closer to the wall and straightening the prongs out and securing it, I had a plug in my house in the house we used to live in and that plug was just what we used to call wallered out. That's just a southern term. You say, what does that mean? I had moved that plug so many times that the prongs inside the plug, you could put the thing in there, the thing would just fall out of it. <laughs> And that was from overextending it. And eventually what happened is the separators on the inside where you plug that in, they got so wallered out, man, you'd have to stick a toothpick in there. How do I know about putting a toothpick in there? Do you understand the point? Well, it doesn't do any good to put in certain things just to get in the way. All it does is cause you connection problems. So the most important thing for you to do is, is take the test. And if you see things on here, you shouldn't take it personal. It's like, that's a good thing I need to tighten up on. I'll give you an illustration. You go to the doctor and you're not feeling real good, not up to par. You're not running a high, you know, 200, 200, 304 fever. You just don't feel good. You're kind of lacking energy and you're not really. So you figure, well, maybe I'll go to the doctor. I'm coming down with the epizoulis or something. And so you go into the doctor and the doctor says, well, you're right on the edge. Why don't you go ahead and take this medicine and rest a little bit before it jumps on you? 
Now, you know what you can do? You can say, well, you're full of prunes and I'm not doing that and I'm not paying you your money and I'm not going to go buy whatever it is from the drugstore and I'm not going to take your advice. And then the next thing you know, you're down flat on your back and you're sick. Yep. Or you can take what the doctor said and instead of taking it personal, say, he's trying to help me. Right. And you know what he does? Doctors are the most negative people in the world. They're as bad as any policeman you ever met. Every time, tell me when you go to the doctor and it's, you hear something good. They always find something wrong when you go in for a checkup. Well, it looks pretty good. What do you mean pretty good? Well, you know, your cholesterol's a little high and your heart's skipping a beat and you're all, you know, well, you know, we can maybe make this. And as you get older, it's like, I don't want to go to the doctor. Why? I, I can already tell you there's a lot wrong with me. But doctors do that to try to help you to get better. Right? You know, knock off the cigarettes. That's why you're coughing and you're smoking like a freight train. Why you got to be so negative? I'm trying to save your life. Now in the Bible, if you'd learn to view those things and, and not take it under such great contrition and conviction where you just feel like it's just negative all the time. No, it's God just trying to warn you, hey, take the medicine, straighten up and life will be better for you. All right. So he comes down there and he tells you these things are going on in the Bible. And then he says, verse number eight, be not therefore uh, seven partakers with them for you were sometimes in darkness. Now you're in the light. That's what we're talking about uh, with the Lord and walk as children of the what? All right. So if I walk as a child of the light, then what do I do? Those things shouldn't be in my life. So I got little notes in here in my Bible. I'm just showing you for example. You say, what are the, those are personal to me. Those aren't preaching notes. You start seeing these things cropping up. It means there's a problem. Come real quick to Galatians 5. You say, do you have that stuff? Yeah, I put that stuff in my Bible. You say, why? It's stuff the Lord points out to me. Every sermon that I preach to you, I have to preach to me first. Guess who my pastor is? Yeah, but he's sometimes not real gentle. <laughs> sometimes he has to break your leg to get you around his neck where you listen to you. So Galatians chapter 5, here's another test for you. Now, don't you want to walk in the Spirit? You ever wonder why you don't produce the fruit of the Spirit? Think about what I just said. The fruit of who? You can't produce it yourself. The only way you can produce it is to have the plug in the wall. If you're not hooked up with the Holy Spirit, you can't produce spiritual fruit. You can produce a counterfeit. You can act like it, whatever your definition is. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that happens and the tree doesn't get any credit for it whatsoever. It's like a pipe back here in the back of the wall. Let's say we had a lavatory here and that pipe's running down through the wall and you got a hot side and a cold side and you got a little spigot that comes out there. And you have pipes that bring that water to that place and you turn on that water. When's the last time you thank the pipe for the water coming out of the spigot? All you see is the spigot, right? And when you turn it on hot, you wait for it to heat up or whatever. And the hot water comes or the cold water comes. But the water had to be brought there by the pipe. So what you have to recognize is, is that the Lord's working through you and the Holy Spirit. When you bear fruit, the stuff that comes out is for the benefit of other people. It's not for you. It doesn't even mean you're spiritual. 
Tell me what tree is like sitting up there and hanging over there with tangerines or tangelos or grapefruit or oranges or apples or whatever it is. And when you pick it up and peel it off there and you eat it, what tree says, boy, it's good fruit, isn't it? You like that, don't you? Yeah, I gave you that fruit. No, the Holy Spirit bears it and you don't even realize it's being bared, you, uh, born because he's the one that's, that's doing it through you in spite of you. All right, here's a good test. Spirit lusts against the flesh, flesh against the spirit. You cannot do the things that you would. Verse 17, if you're led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Works of the flesh are these. All right, here's a test. If these things are showing up in my life, it's indicative of I'm not walking in the spirit. For the sake of our conversation this morning, it means I'm not in fellowship with the Lord. So let's just look at a few of the things that are there. He said, uh, the works of the flesh, they're manifest. What are they? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are all sins of self-gratification. Those are all things of your flesh. That has to do with your sexual appetite. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Uh, that's another appetite altogether. That has to do with your own personal uh, ego. Every one of those things is connected with you as a personality trait. Things that have to be controlled. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, and then he tells you you won't inherit anything. Now, if I see those things in my life, what does it mean? It's meant for, to show you as a litmus test. That thing right there, ladies and gentlemen, is not made for you to take it and shine it on somebody else and say, I see these things in you. You must not be walking in the Spirit. That thing is meant to be a mirror to you that when you look at it and you see those things that are in your, you think to yourself, I must not be walking in the spirit. It's not meant for you to use as a howitzer to shoot at somebody else. It's easy to see the sins in others that you're guilty of committing yourself. The things that stand out to on other people are the things that you're guilty of doing or have done because you recognize them. Now you go down there in 22 and look quickly at your Bible in 22 and 23. You see nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Do you see those attributes in you? Do other people see the attributes in you? We're talking about walking in the light as He is in the light. I have fellowship. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. If I have those attributes in me and people are seeing that attribute, it gets an indicator that I'm in fellowship with the Lord. Well, I don't know if you are or not. You all look like you are to me. You're sitting here on a Sunday and you're here for preaching and things like that. I mean, so to me, you look like you're in fellowship. But if the Bible's right, all of us struggle, don't we? At different times, I mean, different things happen during life. And all of a sudden, the fellowship kind of goes the way of the American Indian for a while. We all kind of get our hind end on our shoulders a little bit and get contrary to the Lord because he didn't do it the way we thought. and Didn't come out how we drew it up. Right? So we know he says there, here's your litmus test on both sides of the thing. So if I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light, then would you agree with this statement if we were making this as a court case for you folks that are attorneys in here? If I'm making a court case, is it fair to make this statement? If I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, I should have the attributes of Jesus. So if I'm walking in the light, then I should have the same forgiving spirit that Jesus had. Forgiving others even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Amen. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Yes, sir. <laughs> Attribute of Jesus. Self-sacrifice. Take persecution joyfully. 
willing to take the wrong, willing to say, Father, forgive them. Those are attributes of the Spirit. I mean, if, if I'm going to really be like Jesus. I appreciate, believe it or not, it's a carnal effort at best, but I appreciate the idea, the attitude of the people that used to wear the little bracelets at WWJD to remind them. I mean, it was a gimmick and that kind of thing to make money. But what would Jesus do? You know what? I found a lot of the people that were, they were trying to do what would Jesus would do. One of the psychological tricks that they used to use years and years ago, I don't know if they still do or not, I haven't studied it in a lot of years, but they'd have somebody that had an addiction problem, they'd have them wear a big fat rubber band. And if they were having a problem, especially with diarrhea of the mouth, what they would do is, before they got carried away, they'd pop that rubber band on the bottom of their wrist where the median nerves are here and pop it and it stings more here. It doesn't hurt that bad on this side, but down here it really hurts. There's a, a, a median nerve that runs right up through here. That's where your carpal tunnel stuff gets happens from the texting and typing and all that other kind of stuff. And so that thing comes through. It's a little narrow channel that's right there. And when that thing pops that stuff, it brings you into reality of okay now, okay now, well, I think they should have made the WWJD like that. So before you did something in the flesh, would Jesus do that? Pop. Is that what Jesus would do? Pop. Is that how Jesus would act? Pop. You say, why? Walking in the light, ladies and gentlemen, here's the whole emphasis, the, the conclusion of the matter. It requires discipline. I wish it wasn't so. I wish it was as easy as salvation. You know what the Lord did? The Lord gave you free will to choose him. And then after you got saved, you know what he did? He handed you back your free will. You realize that that's why we have the people that were in here uh, that are struggling and having problems. I preached last night to the folks out in Australia and the folks came up here, Brother Sam and Brother Lance hooked up the thing and people I didn't know were going to be here, they came up here to, to watch that. Uh, we were there 15 hours ahead of us. And one of the things I mentioned is you grow weary with the brethren. The inconsistencies of the brethren are one of the worst things in the world to deal with. You ever wonder why you're so consumed with that? I told the Lord about it one time. I said, Lord, and brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and sister such-and-such, you know, they're inconsistent, they're unfaithful, they're this and that and the other. And the Lord says, yeah, I, I know all about that. I've been working with you since you were seven. Amen. You say, oh, he doesn't say that. He may not say that to you. Amen. He says that to me. He says, you worried about all them? He said, how about me and you? Yes. He brings that thing back every time to me and you. And I told those folks, you know what, folks, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to give an account for yourself. You know, God's not going to call any one of you up to give your opinion of what you think of somebody. That's going to be a rough time for some of you. Because you think God's interested. He, you must think He's interested. You tell everybody else what you think about what they're doing. You know better than Fox News or CNN or MSNBC and all the other liars that are out there on things trying to get you all spun up and get you looking at things from a political perspective. Why don't you give somebody that's a biblical perspective? You want to know what's going on over there and what they call Gaza right now? This is a biblical perspective. You don't want to know what's going on in what they say is Palestinian? You know in 1917 that England took that over as a military colony. The whole thing. 
And when he came in there and with one stroke of the pen, he divided it into so-called a two-state solution. That's God's land he divided. And it was called Palestinia back then. There was no Palestinian state. It wasn't even, Israel wasn't even a state. By the time Lord Balfour came along, they divided up that thing in the Balfour Declaration and decided to do that. And England's now, what, fifth or sixth rate uh, country? What? Divided God's land. You better make sure as the United States of America, I, I'd go tell them that up there. They wouldn't listen to me, but I'd go tell them, you better go by the Bible and not by what you think. Amen. There is no two-state solution. Amen. Galatians 5, doesn't he say, cast out the bondwoman because Ishmael is not going to dwell with Isaac? You say, well, but they're cousins and they're, you know, that's his half brother and that's his, it. cast out the bondwoman. Is that what he says? They're not going to be a two-state solution. They're trying their best to make a two-state solution. You better stay out of it. I mean, if there's anything the Lord will get you for, it'll get you for that. You may not know this, but when they started bringing uh, the first allowing the Jews to come back over there in the 1920s and stuff like that, England went over there and set up concentration camps on the beachheads over there in Tel Aviv and um, over there in uh, the name of the city escapes me. And when those people got there, they put them in concentration camps. England did that. Not Germany. England. Do you know they were paying countries to have people ousted to go back to Germany and to have them executed during World War II. You have six million of them fixing to be killed over there. And uh, one of those states said, well, you'll take 7,000 a year and no more than that. Six million. You think God doesn't pay attention to that stuff? Yeah. Six million are being killed over there. We'll take 7,000 and no more. We don't want refugees. Well, you got refugees pouring in through your southern border. I mean, they're coming in right, left, and sideways, and upside down. Those people go back to their own country. You probably don't know that. It didn't even pass the first time. The first time when they were saying it's okay to let them go back to their own land, it failed miserably. They had to take a second vote because they didn't have a two-third majority. I guess you don't read. Or either you don't believe the book, it's too harsh. That land is not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's hard for me. It's, it's worked its way back in again. It's hard for me to shut up about that. That land is not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's land. That's God's land. Amen. And they came in there, and they're the ones that divided it. Before it ever even became a state, they divided the thing. While you're dividing that land of, uh, let's see, that would be um, half the tribe of Manasseh and uh, Zebulun and uh, oh, one more that comes over there and they agree to go over and fight with them and say, when we come back, we're coming back over. That's Israel. And we're going to settle. It's good cattle land over here. And they settle the land. That's Israel. You know what's on the other side over there? So it's the West Bank. No, it's not. It's Canaan. That's where the Jews were told to go. Canaan. Yep. That's where people stole the land. Right. You think God cares about what happened yesterday? He's looking all the way back in history and say, man, you've been occupying a land that don't belong to you for years now. That's what's going on over there. 
And all they'll do is show you how oppressive it is and how they need to have a measured attack and how they need to slow down and slow roll it and this and that and the other. I don't know how many of you are paying attention. You have to know kind of where to look and stuff. They are slaughtering children over there in droves, burning them in piles and 20 and 30 in a pile and burning them alive, sitting there eating dinner while they're watching kids have their arms and stuff uh, severed from them and burned in front of parents, cutting babies out of mamas and then killing both of them. They hate those people. Do you know what they were saying in the 1920s? I know you weren't around, but you know what they were saying? Kill the Jews, kill the Jews, kill the Jews, kill the Jews. You know what they're saying right now? Kill the Jews, kill the Jews. You better not come down on an anti-Semitic side of that. You better not try to tie your, whatever your agenda is to what's going on with them. You're nothing like them. I don't care what your civil rights movement is. Man, woman, child, black, white, female, queer. You better not try to make it look like you, you got something in common with them. You've lost your cotton picking mind. It's not the same thing at all. That's a biblical thing going on over there. But the people don't want to hear that. Cast out the bondwoman. You want peace? Get out. You ever seen people that lose a war then come and dictate policy to you? Hitler didn't give back all the, well, we lost the war. And then Hitler comes in and says, well, I might have lost the war, but I still want Czechoslovakia and I want Poland and I want this portion of Russia and I want this and the other. But you got Hamas and Hezbollah and ISIS and ISIL and all of those individuals that are there doing under that decree. Uh, you ever look at who, uh, um, uh, what's his name's, I call him Frogman. It'll, I'll think of his, Af Arafat. You ever look into his granddaddy? That's the guy over there that Hitler took care of during the entire uh, World War II. He was banned from his country. Hitler gave him a place to stay and took care of him until he installed him back in power after the war. Do you know who Arafat's wife was? She's a Roman Catholic. A devout Roman Catholic. Uh, what do you want me to do? Uh, Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Boy, that's worse than his blood be upon us and our children's children. You say, why? Rome has been over them since then. Roman Catholic Church running them. But who wants to know about that? Are you a Bible believer? Amen. It's in the Bible. 80% of what I just told you is in the Old Testament. But who reads the Old Testament? <laughs> Some of it's in Chronicles. Amen. You say, why? Because <laughs> it matters to him. Amen. That's a hard thing, isn't it? You say, what's going on over there? Man, if anything ought to have the little chicken skin up on your arm, making the hair stand up on the back of your neck, it's that stuff going on in Israel and the way they're talking about them, they're choosing sides, boy. The news media and the people coming out against them and it won't be long before, you know, Egypt's beeping up its borders and all that to prevent the spread of war into their country. No, they're not. They're getting ready to attack. They're just doing it under the cover of we're doing it for the protection of our citizens. Well, why would you be doing that? Syria's involved. Now all of a sudden, big, uh, 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 what do you call them, headlines comes out 
uh, Hezbollah is now ready to join in the conflict. <laughs> They've been in it since the beginning. They, that goes all the way back to the 1920s. You had seven Arab countries that are all known as terrorist groups that came together to form a nation. Seven terrorist groups. But I guess you have to read to know some of those things. 1 John chapter 1 again. I apologize for the rant. I try to balance out the, all the, the junk you're watching on the news. 1920s, they were slaughtering babies like nobody's business. They're doing the same thing then they're doing right now. And you turned a blind eye to it. It's just a Jew baby. Just a Jew baby. Jews know how to make money and Gentiles love money. And you're covetous and jealous over the fact that they can make money. A German went to a, a Jewish fellow one time and he said, you know, we have no Jews in our village. And the Jew looked at the German and said, that's why you're still a village. Now <laughs> 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 you can laugh. You know I'm telling the truth. God's blessed those people. They're smart. Do you ever realize that every time the United States of America gets involved in a mess, it's a Jew that gets them out? Where do you think Einstein was? Where do you think the atomic bomb came from? What? <laughs> yeah. That stuff runs all the way through there. But all you're thinking about is, well, why can't they just have peace? Uh, they've been being shelled and been living under a terrorist attack for, let's see, 48 to 23. What is that? 80 some odd, eight, let's just say 80 years, 85 years, 85 years. How long do you think you'd take that? Somebody in your backyard doing that. How long do you think you'd take that? I'm just going to say one more thing about this just to, to let you know. Uh, they're saying that they've lived under the boot of, uh, of a Jewish regime and so on and so forth. The Jews moved out of there in 2005 and turned the entire thing over to them and their own government. Somebody's lying to you. They haven't been under military oppression. They pulled the, their own people. They went in and tore out, Israel went in and tore out their own Jewish settlements and made the people move on the other side. 2005. And they're making it like they're under there and they're keeping them in concentration and they're under suppression and they've been, they've been beat down and they've been put down. And they, you hadn't read a history book. And they, you know what they know? The news media knows you'll never check their sources. They left in 2005, pulled out. Well, who cares about that, preacher? It just seems to me that they're, they're, it's a little bit overkill. Overkill? How would you feel if your whole family got slaughtered? Stripping down women and after they get through raping them, skinning them alive and killing their babies in front of them. How, what, what, what would be too, too far for retribution for that for you? 
well, now I don't want to call. We're going to uh, uh, upset the peace process. See, see what just happened? You just turned that whole thing around and made it look like Israel's the bad guy. Yep. Hey, they weren't the aggressor. It wouldn't have started if the mother people hadn't started it. But now the whole thing, you listen to the rhetoric. It don't take you five, does not take you five minutes to listen to what they're trying to shape. Hey, well, why don't they just back off? Uh, they should just have peace. They're going to hurt the peace process. Oh, who hurt the peace process to begin with? When Hamas came in there, backed by Iran, I don't care what they tell you. You say, why? A oh, Lord yanking those strings. The puppet master's up there going, come on, come on, come on against my nation. You have over 12 statements made by uh, 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 the people that were in charge over there in Iran and Iraq and places over there that have said, we will annihilate Israel. We will annihilate Israel. We will kill them. We will wipe every Jew there is off the mat. And that's not 1940s. That goes back just a couple of years. What's the problem with hate speech? Won't you put them in jail for hate speech instead of people talking about queers? That's an odd thing to me. You're not going to start a war talking about queers. You're talking about people banging war drums. If there's ever hate speech, they're saying they're going to kill people. Won't you go put them in jail? That's hate speech. No, we're going to put preachers in jail for talking about homosexuality. And preachers in jail because they're telling you if you're shacking up, you're doing wrong. Amen. And preachers telling you ought to live right and live clean and do the right thing. That's, that's hate speech. No, hate speech is going on in the Middle East right now. And it's definitely resulted in a whole lot of mass slaughter over there. And it's, and it's horrible. And I'll say it without apology. Uh, it is demonically inspired. Uh, there is, without question, there is uh, um, a demonic influence there. And nobody hates the nation of Israel more than the devil. Amen. And he's doing everything he can to try to destroy it. All right.